You're listening to Speak Up and Stay Alive Patient Safety Radio, and I am your hostess, Pat Rulo, always keeping a sharp eye out for a topic and guest that tend to get bypassed by mainstream media. And so it is with today's guest. She is Lisa Bloomquist, a patient advocate who was injured by the antibiotic called Cipro in 2011. She runs the fluoroquinolone toxicity syndrome advocacy site called floxyhope.com and manages the fluoroquinolone wall of pain. And these are websites to give hope for healing to those adversely affected by fluoroquinolone antibiotics such as Cipro, Leviquin, Avalox, and Floxin. Lisa is a guest blogger for hormonesmatter.com and collectiveevolution.com. She is the host of the Floxy Hope podcast. And Lisa has vowed to continue to scream about the dangers of fluoroquinolone antibiotics until those in the medical profession start paying attention to their Hippocratic Oath, establish proper informed consent for administration of these drugs, and stop giving them to children. She has a bachelor's in economics from Colorado State University and a master's in public administration from the University of Colorado in Denver. She is a Colorado native who enjoys the mountains, Pilates, and her cat. And we have a lot in common, both damaged by Cipro, love the mountains, and our cats. So a very welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me, Pat. Well, it's our pleasure, our pleasure. Now, before we get into your story, explain so that our listening audience understands, what is the name fluoroquinolone? What is that? Fluoroquinolones are a class of antibiotics, and they are very powerful, broad-spectrum antibiotics. The most popular ones in America are Cipro. The generic name for Cipro is Ciprofloxacin, Leviquin, which is Levofloxacin, Avalox, which is Moxifloxacin, and Floxin, which is Ofloxacin. And you'll notice that all of those generic names have the word flox in them, F-L-O-X, And so people who have been hurt by fluoroquinolone antibiotics started to call themselves floxy. So if you ever hear the term floxy or floxed, it comes from that root word in the the, uh, antibiotic names, in the generic names, the uh, formal names for these drugs, drugs, ciprofloxacin, levofloxacin, moxifloxacin, and ofloxacin. They are very powerful broad-spectrum antibiotics that are used for all sorts of infections. Um, They are used for urinary tract infections, sinus infections, sometimes pneumonia, anthrax, syphilis. It's appropriate for them to be used for incredibly difficult to to treat infections. Um, When no other sort of antibiotic will will help you, uh, it's, it's appropriate to use these drugs. But they are um, they are what is called a topoisomerase interrupter. Their mechanism for action is that they disrupt the DNA and RNA replication cycle for bacterial DNA. And they also disrupt the DNA and RNA replication cycle for mitochondria within, within human cells. And as we have learned over the last decade, our bacteria are also quite important. So, so disrupting the, the DNA and RNA replication cycle for our bacteria is also quite a, it's a very dangerous thing to do. And so these drugs really should be preserved for life or death situations, and they should only be used in those situations, situations like anthrax, um, is, is when it might be appropriate to use a fluoroquinolone antibiotic, except honestly for anthrax, Doxycycline works as well. But unfortunately, rather than preserving these drugs for very serious and life-threatening infections, they're really being given out like candy. 
26 million prescriptions for fluoroquine alone were, were given out in America in 2011 alone. But uh, around 25 million prescriptions a year for these drugs, which means that they are massively over, overused. The side effects from these drugs, if you look at any of the warning labels, the Cipro warning label, the Leviquin warning label, the Avalox warning label, they're pages and pages long. The Cipro warning label is about 43 pages long with side effects that are, well, goodness, name, name anything just about, and you'll, and you'll see it as a side effect, which, which honestly kind of makes people go a little bit numb when they, see, when they see that absolutely everything can go wrong, except truly everything can go wrong in your, in your body if you experience fluoroquinolone toxicity. There is a black box warning on all of the fluoroquinolones, and the black box warning is the most severe warning the FDA puts on, on drugs. So it's the heaviest warning before they take the drugs off of the market. And the black box warnings for fluoroquinolones are that they can cause tendon ruptures and that they can be deadly in people with myasthenia gravis, and I might be mispronouncing that. It's a very serious warning. What they don't tell you is that every single tendon in your body can be weakened. You can rupture a tendon while getting out of bed not only while you're on these drugs, but after you've taken these drugs. And I think that that's what most people don't realize, is that, is that the tendons can be permanently damaged. So you can have tendonitis or you could rupture an Achilles months after you take these drugs as a side effect of these drugs. The other side effects include peripheral neuropathy. An increased warning was just added to the warning label for permanent peripheral neuropathy burning, stabbing, aching feelings, uh, muscle twitches, kind of vibrating in your muscles, cracking joints, all sorts of musculoskeletal issues. Um, eye floaters, hot and cold sensations, feeling numb, feeling like there's electric shocks shooting up and down your spine, a lot of central nervous system issues, uh, people, loss of memory, loss of reading comprehension, um, loss of mental capacity and, and, and mental capability. There have even been people who, who have uh, seen lesions on their brains in brain scans after experiencing fluoroquinolone toxicity. Extreme uh, connective tissue and tendon damage not only damages your tendons, but also your cartilage. And really, um, before I kind of just overwhelm the audience completely with, with listing any more symptoms, it's just really summed up as multi-symptom chronic disease yeah. is what these, these antibiotics can, can cause. And that's an awfully heavy price to pay for treating a suspected sinus infection. These fluoroquinolones then are a family of synthetic broad-based antibiotics when you said that they eradicate the bacteria by interfering with DNA replication. So they kind of work like a chemotherapy drug where they disrupt the DNA and destroy the cells. And all you have to do is type fluoroquinolone antibiotic in a search engine and the entire page is filled with negative press. So um, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And, and sorry for interrupting, Pat, but, it, but you touched on something that I really want to drive home to the audience, that they're a chemotherapy drug. And truly, these drugs are being used to treat cancers. And whether or not they're appropriate to use for treating cancers, you know, possibly. There, there may be a place for them to be used for treating cancers. But just be aware that when you're taking this drug for a urinary tract infection, it is a chemotherapy drug. And it's not appropriate to be taking 
chemotherapy drugs for, or to be prescribing chemotherapy drugs for urinary tract infections. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just not appropriate. The consequences of these drugs are very much along the same lines as, as how chemotherapy drugs work. So I, I think kind of when, when conceptualizing these problems with these drugs, it's, it's very important to think of them as chemo drugs instead of thinking of them as simple antibiotics because they are much more similar in their effects and even their mechanism of action to chemo drugs than they are to penicillin. Wow. They, they just happen to kill bacteria. See, and I wish I had personally known that because I too have been negatively impacted by the drug Cipro when three years ago my primary care physician prescribed it after just a real cursory quick exam when my main complaint was a sore throat that felt like I had swallowed a golf ball. And it turns out it was not a bacterial infection, not that he would have known because we didn't do any swabbing or anything, just a quick look. And within two days of taking the drug, my ears began to ring and have not stopped for even a moment. So, I mean, it's not life-threatening, but it's highly irritating. So now if you would, though, Lisa, tell us about the event that triggered your reaction to Cipro and then consequently your patient advocacy. So back in 2011, I was 32 years old. And let me just tell you real quick about how active I was. I was going to the gym five to seven days a week. I was testing out CrossFit gyms. Um, I had hiked entire 500-mile Colorado Trail right before I, um, in, in the summer of 2010, I was incredibly active and athletic, and I, I very much took those things for granted, to tell you, to tell you the truth. Um, but, uh, but anyhow, I had a urinary tract infection, and I took Cipro. About a few days after I took the Cipro, I took it for three days. And actually, I'm sorry, let me rewind a little, uh, a little bit as well and say that I had taken Cipro in 2009 with really no, no ill effects. Like looking back on things now, I notice I, I can realize that I had kind of a twitchy eyelid and some weird GI issues that, that kind of waxed and waned. But really, really nothing, nothing horrible happened to me in 2009. It was the second time that I took Cipro in 2011 that, um, that really the bomb went off in my body. But, uh, but basically what happened is I took the, the full course, and then a few days later I started to get floaters in my eyes, like big black floaters would just go into my vision. And it was scary, and I thought that I might be having my retina detached or something along those lines. And so I went into the, into the doctor, and they looked at my eyes, and they said, no, well, everything, everything looks okay. So I continued on with my life for a few more days. And then I started to get menstrual cramps. I was getting my period. My hormones started to fluctuate, and I started to take Advil and NZ. And then after, I don't know, maybe a day of taking Advil and also my um, hormones going wild, everything went wrong in my body. Suddenly, I couldn't walk anymore. My hands and feet welled up, and they were incredibly painful to use. I needed to walk three blocks in order to do a work thing, and I couldn't do it. My coworker needed to give me a ride, and then I needed to take a taxi home. And, and, and this is from a girl who had just hiked 500 miles before that. Like, just suddenly my feet hurt so incredibly bad, I could, I could barely move. I had hives all over my body, and especially in my joints, like big, red, angry welts. And I'm actually somewhat thankful for those big, angry welts, because when I went into the doctor, they couldn't say, well, you know, nothing is wrong with you. And so they said, I don't know what's wrong with you, which 
is true. They didn't really know what was wrong. I went into the doctor going, what in the world is going on? Why can't I walk? Why can't I move? Why do my hands hurt? Why do my feet hurt? And why do I have these highs all over my body? And they ran all sorts of blood tests and couldn't give me an answer. They could tell me that nothing was coming up on the on the blood test. All of my blood work, the basic blood work, came back normal. And they said, as far as we can tell, you're fine. I said, well, I'm not fine. There's nothing fine about me. And I ended up seeking some, some alternative uh, treatments through acupuncture and supplements and, and things things kind of along those lines. Um, after that, things continued to get worse. My highs and my and my mobility got worse and worse for, for a little while, probably a couple of months. After a couple of months, I, I lost a lot of my memory. I lost my reading comprehension. I lost my concentration. And really, the mental symptoms were some of the scariest for me. I, I, I very much lost my, my sense of self. Um, I, I lost my motivation. I lost my caring about things. I, I really felt like I had difficulty connecting with people. And frankly, I was terrified. I had a huge amount of anxiety. And the acute stage went on for several months. Um, and then after that several months, I stabilized. And I just slowly, slowly started to get better. But I did not get back to what I would consider to be about 95% better for, for 18 months. Wow. So it really took away 18 months of my physical and mental life. Wow. This is quite a story and quite a comeback story. And like so many of the guests on our program that are affected by something and then decide to speak up against it and about it and for it. And so I'm, I'm really proud that you've been able to do that. And I want to encourage our folks again, the fluoroquinolone wall of pain is FQ wallofpain.com, fqwallofpain.com, and that's where they can find stories from others. It's always helpful to, to hear what others have to say, especially if you're in the same boat. And I was noticing and thinking about this, that uh, the rise of these potent drugs has also been blamed for increases in two very serious hard-to-treat infections, and we talk about this on the program quite a bit, antibiotic-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, better known as MRSA, and the severe diarrhea caused by C. diff. In fact, one study found that these fluoroquinolones were responsible for about 55% of C. diff infections at a, at a very specific hospital. And I think this is important to note for those patients in the hospital and why it's of supreme importance to at least ask everyone to wash their hands before they touch you because you don't want to have to take antibiotics in the hospital if you don't have to. And so I guess that leads me to the question, as a patient, how can we decide if taking the antibiotic is worth the risk or if it's important to, our, to cure our ailment? I mean, we don't want to refuse something that will help us, but are certain people more susceptible to a negative reaction? Um, let me answer that in kind of two, two separate pieces. I think that fluoroquinolones should not be prescribed unless all other possibilities have been exhausted. So there are other antibiotics available that are safer. No antibiotic is without some side effects, except the side effects for fluoroquinolones is particularly severe, especially given the fact that they can be permanent. And and most of the other antibiotics out there, the doxycyclines, the penicillin, the moxicillin, cephalosporin, the other antibiotics out there, yes, they have side effects, except they are usually um, more passing side effects instead of instead of something that can plague you for years or even mm. or even permanently. And so kind of given the, given the severity of the adverse effects of fluoroquinolones, I really think that people should not take them unless 
there is no other option. Okay. And I understand that there are some cases where there is no other option and, and you need to play Russian roulette. Um, but, but there are plenty of options that I think people don't, don't necessarily think about. Um, not sure if you're familiar or not, Pat, because we didn't talk about it, but uh, fecal transplants yes. have shown to be incredibly effective yep. against C. diff, mm-hmm. so much more effective than, than the current general practice mm-hmm. of just wiping out all the bacteria in, yep. someone's, in someone's gut with additional antibiotics, yeah. you know, like it's very much the, the current practice for C. diff is, is try to fight fire by throwing gasoline on mm-hmm. it, and sometimes that Sometimes that works. Sometimes you throw enough gasoline on the fire, it, it you know gets it wet enough. But uh, but for the most part, it's a very foolish way of thinking about things. Right, right. And for folks listening, antibiotics. I mean, just the origin of the word anti means against, and bios is from a Greek word that means life. So an antibiotic is against life. And when you take one, it doesn't know if it's killing the good guys or the bad guys. Like you say, just throwing gasoline on there just kills everything. So we need to use extreme caution and and when our doctor prescribes an antibiotic what conversation should we be having then with our doctor about any antibiotic but especially these i think that it's incredibly important to get your infection cultured um there is way 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 too many people out there getting antibiotics when they have either a viral infection or they have a persistent cough that they think is bacterial in nature, but it's really acid reflux. Mm-hmm. Or, um, or they think that they have a urinary tract infection, but it's really um, inflammation. It's very, very, very important to make sure that what you have is a bacterial infection before you take any sort of antibiotics. And then after a culture is done, it should be apparent which, which antibiotics will work on the, work on the infection. Penicillin and amoxicillin tend to be pretty benign. Most people who have been affected by fluoroquinolone toxicity do fine with Z-Packs mm-hmm. and do fine with doxycycline and, uh, and tetracycline. Um, anything in the cephalosporin class seems to be fairly well, well tolerated. It's not something that should, be, that should be taken lightly, and we take them just way too lightly. But I really want to emphasize that fluoroquinolones are chemo drugs, right. masquerading as antibiotics. Absolutely. And I like your advice that your infection should be cultured. That's what happened to me. I, I was having acid reflux and my, it caused my throat to be sore and red and just looked at me and gave me Cipro. And it, we didn't even culture that. So bad me, but never again. Um, I read in 2010, Levaquin was the best-selling antibiotic in the United States, but it was also the subject of more than 2,000 lawsuits from patients who had suffered severe reactions after taking it. So help us, what is the situation with lawsuits? Yeah, people definitely deserve some justice. People are really caught in, in a horrible catch-22. If a symptom that they experience is listed on the warning label, then most lawyers won't take the case because they can't sue the drug company for failure to warn. Even if you experience all of the symptoms that are listed on the on the warning label at once, even if you can say like, well, it doesn't say that this would be permanent. It didn't say that it would be this severe. Most attorneys are not are not taking the cases. Like I said, there's a black box warning on the label for tendon for tendon ruptures. Except if you have multiple tendon ruptures, you can't you can't sue. It's very difficult to sue, basically, mm-hmm. because yeah. because lawyers aren't aren't taking cases. But if your symptom that you experience isn't listed on the warning label, then they say, well, 
it's probably not from the drug. Right. And so, and so there's this, this really horrible situation of a lack of acknowledgement and a lack of, and a lack of justice. Wow, and that's why Cipro has 42 pages of side effects. I mean, it's like, we warned you. And so they kind of cover their butt yep. by, by, warning, by warning for for pretty close to everything. Yep. And you can see that on a lot of dangerous drugs mm-hmm. out there, that there's just warning label creep. And, and those warning labels, you think that they're to protect the consumers, but they're really to protect the pharmaceutical companies. Absolutely, and let's bring that out, I mean, because that's what it's all about. There was a change to the warning label recently, adding permanent peripheral neuropathy to the warning label. And so there, there are some law firms that are working on, on fluoroquinolone toxicity lawsuits right, right now. And if anyone who's listening would like to get some information on those lawsuits, I suggest that you contact the Quinolone Vigilance Foundation, and their website is saferpills.org. Fortunately, people who are hurt by a generic drug cannot sue, thanks to our Supreme Court that, in about a year and a half ago, decided that, uh, that it was wise to uh, take justice away from everyone who who takes a, a generic drug. So the only people who are eligible for these lawsuits, these peripheral neuropathy lawsuits, are people who took the, the name brand drugs made by either Bayer or Johnson & Johnson. So Bayer is the one who makes Cipro and Avalox, and Johnson & Johnson makes Levaquin. And personally, I took a generic I took generic ciprofloxacin, and I'm not eligible mm-hmm. for any sort of compensation really for, for the highest court in our nation to take even the possibility of justice away from people who took generic drugs, it's disgusting, and the repercussions of it are absolutely horrible. It doesn't really seem like there's enough anger out over the fact that you cannot gain justice if you are hurt by a generic drug, but, but all of our insurance companies force us to take generic drugs in a lot of cases. Thank you. As you're speaking, I'm thinking, we talked about this on the show maybe two years ago, and and I'm going to have to revisit it as well. Yeah, to take away any shred of justice that we might gather, here we are forced to take generic drugs by our insurance companies, yet if we've got an adverse effect caused by that generic drug, the law takes away any kind of recourse from us because... Generic drugs are protected, so yeah. we are yeah. caught in a in a bad situation there that we need to start to speak up about, and I'm going to join you with that as well. Yeah, th- thank you, Pat. And it, and it really takes away kind of one of the checks and balances on the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. The pharmaceutical industry is so incredibly powerful, just so incredibly well well funded, and they enjoy a, a really good reputation, which is very strange. Like people people assume that. The pharmaceutical companies are, are just out there to um, create drugs and save, and save lives, except they kill an inordinate number of people. I mean, I've, I've heard as high as the third leading cause of death in America. And why a company that creates something that kills this many people, enjoys a good reputation, is completely beyond me. Yeah, they're well-funded and they're well-connected and they're tied to our regulatory system. And uh, there's we, we have no recourse as people unless we decide that we need recourse and, and band together and speak up. And that's the only way to affect a change. You, you got it. You got it. Yep. Because these systems are working together. So I was thrilled when I saw that you have a website called Floxy Pets. So if these antibiotics are bad for us, the same for our pets, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it just, it breaks my heart when I think of 
cats and dogs and horses and, and any sort of pets going through fluoroquinolone toxicity because they have absolutely no idea what hit them. I have I have a cat, like it, like you mentioned in the intro, and I love him very, very much. <laughs> and I look at just his, how springy he is. The, he, he jumps up on counters. He jumps up on it, on everything. And just to imagine him going through the weakening of every single tendon, every single ligament, every single muscle, all of his cartilage in his body, he would attempt to jump on the counter and tear something. It would be horrible. And you couldn't explain to a cat, no, don't jump up on the counter. You can't, you can't do that. Dogs are hurt all the time. Dogs are hurt more often than cats because it's more acknowledged in, in veterinary medicine that fluoroquinolones are contraindicated for cats. So cats can go blind. Mm, interesting. If given, if given these drugs. Okay. So can humans, actually. Like, I do know of a case of a woman who, who went blind for three months after, after <sighs> taking fluoroquinolone. Wow. I, I also know someone who, who went blind for a couple of days, but, um, which is terrifying in itself, too. But dogs are prescribed them more often. The most popular name for the fluoroquinolones for, um, for dogs is Batril. Oh, I've heard of that. I, and certainly just look, please, whenever your, your animal is getting, is, is getting an antibiotic, look at the generic name of the drug. And if there's FLOX, F-L-O-X, anywhere in it, look it up, see if it's a fluoroquinolone, and, and ask for something else. The, the torture that people go through. At least you can explain to people, you can explain to adults, you know, hey, you need to take a magnesium supplement and Epsom salt baths and meditate and and they can join support groups and you can explain to them. They can understand that they got poisoned. To do this to an animal or a child that really can't understand on any reasonable level what happened to them, it breaks my heart. Yes. As it should, as it should. These these little pets and little people have no choice and no voice, so it's up to us to make wise and informed decisions. Yeah. yeah. Just kind of mentioning children. These drugs are generally thought of as being contraindicated in the, in the pediatric population because in some animal testing, they tested a bunch of poor beagle puppies to realize that it caused um, lesions in their cartilage. Oh. Basically, it caused, it caused these puppies to go lame. And it doesn't stop a lot of doctors from uh, prescribing them off-label. And then also something to be very careful of is topical applications. Okay. So ear and eye drops Ooh. are a huge way that children get exposed to fluoroquinolone. Oh. A new fluoroquinolone was just approved, I think, is, except it's being marketed for, um, for swimmer deer. So many babies have ear infections. The, the number of kids who are given Cipro eardrops. Okay, that's a whole other topic here, huh? It is. Yes. It is. Oh my. And, and these kids end up having health problems, and the parents don't put together the pieces because the doctors aren't putting together the pieces, mm-hmm. and and no one is is figuring out why these kids are sick. It's really it's really horrible. Yes, it is, and there's obviously so much more that we need to know about this. Just know that there is a community out there and that there are people who get through it and there are people who are advocating and there is advice and there is help. And, you know, please hang in there. And I, I, know, it's, I know it's easier said than done, but just kind of hang in there. So we want people to pay attention to this. They can get more information at your website called Floxy Hope 
www.matthewcarter.com. Lisa, what a pleasure to have met you, and I'm so proud for what you do and what you're doing to help others with this very little discussed subject. And so hopefully you and I can continue this conversation and, and get more awareness out there. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me, Pat. I appreciate the opportunity. It's our pleasure. And folks, just to summarize, when an antibiotic is prescribed, please, it's wise to ask what the drug is, whether it's necessary, what the side effects are, what should you be looking out for, whether they are effective alternatives, and when to expect the diagnosed condition to resolve, and what to do and who to call if something unexpected happens or if recovery seems delayed. And keep this conversation in mind today. And in the meantime, study up and visit the website floxyhope.com. Again, Lisa, thank you so much.